Man, that's praise. That's praise right there. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Everyone here today. Find John chapter 15, continuing to march through that section. We'll begin in verse 10. Pop quiz. You ready? Let's review what we've learned. Jesus is equipping his disciples. He is training his disciples to take the good news to all the nations. Part of this training is pruning. Pruned if you do. Who is Jesus speaking to in this text? You. No. Everyone. <laughs> Not just to me, even though it does speak to me. Does Isaac really love me? No. no. He does, but just not at a certain level. I love him too. Hey, David made it clear last week he loved me enough to go to prison for me. Now we're going to test his depth of love later in the sermon. So hang on, Dave, before you get too proud there. Hold on. We also learned that we can do nothing without Jesus. So in order to fulfill the mission, we all must. There you go. Abide. And we saw last week the depths of what abiding really means. And I want to say what J.C. Ralph said again, because it, it just touched my heart when, when you listen to the words that he says. He says, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with him. To be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him, and using him as our foundation of life and strength. As our chief companion and best friend, to have his words abiding in us is to keep his sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds and to make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. So the secret to abiding is to be in union and communion. There you go. With our Lord and Savior. Union and communion. Now, we, all, we also started digging into what Jesus gives every one of uh, his disciples. We saw he gives love, joy, and peace. He actually did it in reverse here. He gave peace, joy, and love, as we see in our text. But we learn in order to be a success, successful missionary, each person must have love, joy, and peace that comes from God. It has to come from God. Now, what the world has to offer, any love, joy, or peace, is fleeting. It's fleeting. It's not true love. It's not real joy. And it's and the peace that is not a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's just temporary. But Jesus, the all-knowing God, knows what his disciples need in order to continue in the in the faith, and he equips them with it. They were going to be sent out into a hostile environment. They will be hated because Christ was hated. And because they were going to be hated. They would have to have a peace that does come from God. They would have to have a God-type love, and they would have to have a joy that comes from God to fulfill the mission. So God knows what each disciple will need, them and us. And so he gives it to us, and it's there for the taking. And it's such an this, I, I dropped back to verse uh, chapter 14, verse 25, because it's such an encouraging verse. It says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
Side note, the words do not be afraid is repeated 365 times in the scriptures. I guess one for each day, maybe. I don't know. I don't have that. God gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us peace so our hearts won't be troubled, so we won't be afraid. Then in chapter 15, verse 11, we see the joy that Jesus says he gives us. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We can have full joy, complete joy when we do what God has called us to do. And then Jesus goes on into love and what love is. Let's, uh, let's start in verse nine. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So the first thing we see in verse 9 is that the perfect and complete love that Jesus has for all his disciples. And Jesus commands us to abide in that same love. He says, you abide in my love just as I have, just as I abide in the Father's love. So how are we to do that? How do we abide? Well, by the exact means that Jesus always remained in his father's love. He did it with obedience. He did it with obedience. We have seen this time after time in the word, how Jesus was obedient to the father, how he came to do the father's will. Jesus said back in chapter eight, for I always do what pleases him. So if we are to abide in his love, the way to do it is to be obedient. You know, as I sat there studying, you know, how my mind goes, I thought back to when I was a kid. And it wasn't very far back. But, <laughs> and, I, and I tried to answer this question. I tried to answer this question. Why was I disobedient? I'm, I'm thinking when I was a kid, I'm, I probably should ask myself that now. But why, why was I disobedient? You know, my dad was a lot more fun to be around when I was obedient. <laughs> Amen. Good. Our house is no different than yours. I had a pretty good grasp of what was right and what was wrong. I knew that if I did whatever it was, that there would be punishment for what I did. I was many times even warned by others. If your daddy finds out about this, you're going to be in trouble. I was warned. I still did. I still did it. And, and the best answer I could come up with for the reason I was disobedient was this. I wanted whatever it was or whatever I was doing. I wanted it more than I wanted my father's love. I had the knowledge that was needed to make the right choice. And yet I made the wrong choice because I wanted to do what I wanted to do more than I wanted my father's love. And truly, that's the reason for all our sin, right? Is that not the reason? The reason we do not obey God is that we want what we want more than we want the love of God. So what do we need to do? I got the answer for that too. We all need to get our water fixed. <laughs> I don't know what shop you go to, but yeah, I do. And, 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 and you know what? If we do that, we will be able to abide in Jesus' love. Amen. 
got to get it fixed. Jesus says this in chapter in verse 10 there. If you can keep my commands, there it is. If you obey, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. See how easy that is? Just do that right there. See how easy? No. Keep Jesus' word, bam, you're in his love. Get your water fixed, bam, you're good to go. Gosh, I wish it was that easy. But God wants us to work at it daily. He wants us to work at it daily. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments, abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The truth of the matter is you will not have joy in the Lord if you do not keep his commands or abide in his love. The truth is your joy will never be full if you desire the things of this world more than you desire the love of God. No matter the situation we are in or what comes our way, we are to seek God in all of it so that our joy may be full. A lot of times in our walk, we're willing to set aside that joy that comes from God because we want what we want. But listen, our joy should be always consistent, not just when things are going well. Think about that. <laughs> or think about this. Those 11 men whom Jesus was sending out to change the world, they of all people need to understand this truth about joy. They have given up everything to follow Jesus. They have been kicked out of society as they have known it. <laughs> Family split. Their life would be in danger at all times, at all times. It would have been very easy for them to go in depression, wouldn't it? Thought about that. Wouldn't that be easy to, you know, just slide down that hill of depression? Or for them to go into despair? You know, despair is a complete loss of hope. Circumstances can press in around us to the extent that we cannot see a way out. And then fear creeps in, like I said before. We shouldn't fear. But when fear grips us, hopelessness is, is right behind it. Could have been easy for those guys to go down that path. The Apostle Paul wrote about it in 2 Corinthians. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. Paul could suffer so many hardships, yet not despair because his hope was not based on these earthly circumstances. How was he able to do that? Because he held on to the knowledge that God was ultimately in control of it all, just like that all the disciples had to do. He knew that whether he lived or died, whether he had plenty or had nothing, God was in control and his suffering would have meaning for all eternity. He kept that on the forefront of his mind. We are all to have that living hope in our hearts. And when we do, our joy will abound. That goes for all believers. Christians should be joyful. Joy should characterize our everyday lives. We must work at it, though. We must work at it in order to be a light. We must fight against despair and live a life of victory. When difficult times arise, not saying that despair, depression, or feeling defeated will never come in our lives. Yes, it will. But when it arises, what do we do? We fight against it. And one of the best ways to win this fight is to eat your lettuce. <coughs> eat your lettuce. We all know what our lettuce is. Let us spur one another on. 
You know what I'm saying here. If you're struggling, go to the word, eat the lettuce, and then look at all the one another's in the word too. Look at all that. Do a search on one another. What the church is supposed to do with one another. Look at it and then come together and fight these battles together. I say this because I've seen a lot of times in the church, I'll go up and ask someone, hey, man, how's it going? Like, They're great, man. Everything's wonderful. My life is beautiful, perfect. I have joy. I have peace. And they say that with their mouth, and inside there's despair and defeat. Let's not let that creep into our lives. Let's fight all this together. The disciples did. Paul did. Listen, having love, joy, and peace doesn't mean that we do not have sad times. You know, you ever been one of those churches where everything gets happy? Everybody's got that fake grin, you know, walking around. No, it's not like that all the time. Life's tough sometimes. Listen, three times it's recorded that Jesus wept. He was sad. He wept one time when he gathered with Lazarus' sister and other mourners when Lazarus had passed away. Was Jesus weeping over the death of Lazarus? Oh, I don't think so, because he knew he was going to raise him up in, what, 10 minutes or something. I don't know how much his grief would have been there, but I'm sure he said. Listen, Jesus could not help but to weep because his heart ached when he saw Mary and Martha crying because Lazarus was gone. He felt their pain. The stuff is real. Did Jesus tell Mary and Martha, oh, have joy in your heart. Stop crying. Suck it up. Let's go. Didn't do that, did he? Didn't do that. He wept with them. He wept with them. We must be real. Tough times will come. But we can get through these tragedies because of the joy that God has given us. We can have joy because we know God is working in us. And when we get to the other side, we can look back and praise him because we can see that he was with us the entire time. Amen. We all know what James 1, 2 says. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. We can have joy in the midst of difficulties. And we do that like Paul did. We persevere because we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. As we persevere through trials with God's help, our faith strengthens and matures. Do you think that happened to the disciples? Absolutely. Absolutely. They've gone, they went through a lot more than we'll ever go through. By God's grace, we can have joy despite our circumstances. So we don't make light of any trial or tribulation, but we do put our trust in Jesus to get us through. And the thought of Jesus knows this and he is with me will give us all joy. Amen. Now, Back to the love. Jesus makes two statements that really makes each person check their heart to see if they really do love, to see if they really do have the love of God in them. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus commanded us to love. He says, love one another as he has loved us. Now that puts the bar pretty high, doesn't it? That's pretty high when it comes to love. These men, these disciples have seen the love that Jesus has poured out on humanity time and time and time again. He has seen his patience and his willing to take time for other people. And so he looks at his disciples. He says, love one another the same way I love them. 
Love like I love, Jesus says. And one may be saying, well, I'm not Jesus. Well, you're right. But that doesn't give you an excuse to not love. We may not have that perfect love in us because of our fallen nature, but that does not give us an excuse not to love. Remember last week how we, how we were challenged to take steps towards abiding, no matter how small the steps, we take it as we, and then as we mature in our faith, our steps get bigger and bigger. Same thing goes with love here. First Corinthians 13, 14, everybody knows the love chapter here. This is a perfect platform to start stepping towards loving like Jesus did. Love is patient and kind. Well, we can all work on that. Maybe some of y'all had that down. No hands. Well, you know, that's where we could take a step right there. We could be more like Christ if we would work on our patience and kindness. We could become more like Christ if we take steps to not envy or boast or be arrogant or rude. You know, love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So start taking those steps. Start walking towards love and true love. Start working out our salvation. That's what we're doing as we take these steps. We are working out our, sal our salvation. You know, we see these plaques and old pieces of wood with these words of, Love written all over them, don't we? We see them everywhere. That's nice. Nice decorations. It's awesome. But the question is, are we working on our love for others? Or are we just decorating homes and Hobby Lobby with all these plaques? Are we even trying to love like Jesus? We must work at this love thing at all times. How important is love? Jesus summed it up. He gave us two simple commands. And what was the main drive in those commands? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the greatest and first commandment. And second is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. If the church body really truly worked on loving God and then loving others, think about what an impact we would be to the world. How different would the world be if we really took steps to loving God and loving our neighbors? And I know you guys are doing it. I know you're out there. I see a whole neighborhood sitting over here because of love, you know? You're doing it. It's awesome. But if we did it, church would change. Worship would change. Communities would change. Our homes would change. All because of love. Write this verse in your margins, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Here's how believers are to live. What sets us apart from the world we live in? How does our light shine? It says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. Want to like? Love like Jesus does. Want to have sweet fellowship? Love like Jesus does. Want to change your home? Love like Jesus does. Love does no wrong. If you need more teaching on love, read 1 John. You will see that love is more than a second 
and emotion for the old folks out there. Instead of looking at love as a command, we would do better if we made it the desire of our heart. Amen. Jesus brings love to the highest level. And he brings it even higher in this verse 13. Greater love is no one than lay down his life. Than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus raises the bar even higher when it comes to love, doesn't he? All right, David. You might go to prison for me. You willing to lay down your life for me? I think I would. You can have my car. You can put an LS. In. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a deal. <laughs> I'd do the same thing. There is love out there. There is hope. We're just kidding there. We do love each other. So as Jesus raises the bar for love, let's look at those 11 men. At that time, they did not know what was going to happen to Jesus the next day. When Jesus made this statement to his disciples, they're probably sitting around like every good old boy should be doing and nodding their head. Yeah, he ain't wrong. He ain't wrong, you know, that's a great act of love to lay down your life. He's right. But you see, they didn't know or they didn't completely understand what perfect and complete love looks like. It was not clear to them that perfect and complete love would lay down his life for others. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus did not die for himself. He died that others might live. Romans 5, 6 through 8, Paul wrote, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus did not die for himself. He died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. See, David, David had, he was hesitant when he said he was going to do that for me. You know? So they wrote about him right here. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, that is his enemies, Christ died for us. Oh my, the bar just got higher. What did our verse say? Our verse says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. There is no greater love to lay down your life for a friend, for a friend. But what were we when Christ died for us? We were sinners. We were enemies. And yet he still laid down his life for us. He did it so sinners, so the ungodly could become his friend. You see? Jesus had the mind of God and knew what he would do. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He knew what he was doing. First John 3.16 says this, By this we know that he laid down his life for us. He didn't lay it down for himself. He did it for us. John goes on to say, And we ought to, listen, lay down our lives for the brothers. This is what perfect and complete love looks like. Jesus lays down his life for others. Now let's look at this text from a different angle. Can we do that? Remember what's going on here. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the mission. Matthew 28, 16. Listen to it. 
Listen to this in the light of the text we've been studying for the last month. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus had made disciples out of these 11 men. They were going to go make disciples out of the nations. How are they going to do that? He says, teach them. Teach the people to observe all that he had commanded them. Not just some of it, all of it. Not just the easy stuff, all of it. Right down to greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. Jesus taught that this is the kind of love he had for them. And he also taught that they were to love just like he did. Did you get that? Jesus says, this is the greatest act of love. Lay down your life for others. Now go and love, he says. Go and love. Meaning, be prepared, ready. Listen to this. Be prepared to lay down your life if you have to. Are we ready? These 11 men went out and loved. They went out and loved like Jesus did. And guess what happened to these 11 men? James, the son of Zebedee, was executed by Herod around 44 A.D. Peter and Paul were martyred in Rome about 66 A.D. during the persecution under Emperor Nero. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down at his request since he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. They knew how to love just like Jesus did. It is said that Andrew went to the land of the, quote, man-eaters, which is now the Soviet Union. Christians there claim him as the first to bring the gospel to the land. He also preached in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey and Greece, where he is said to have been crucified. Thomas was probably the most active in the area of East Syria. Tradition has him preaching as far east as India. They claim that he died there when pierced with the spears of four soldiers. Philip had a powerful ministry in North Africa and Asia Minor where he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul. In retaliation, he had Philip arrested and cruelly put to death. Matthew was a tax collector and the writer of a gospel ministered in Persia and, Persia and Ethiopia. Some of the oldest reports say that he was not martyred, while others say he was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew had a widespread ministry travels attributed to him by tradition, to India with Thomas and back to Armenia, Ethiopia, and Southern Arabia. There were various accounts of how he met his death as a martyr for the gospel. So we're not sure how he exactly died, but we do know that he died for the gospel. James was the son of Alphaeus, is one of the least of the three James referred to in the New Testament. There's some confusion on which, on which is which, but this James is reckoned to have ministered in Syria. The Jewish historian Josephus reported that he was stoned and then clubbed to death for sharing the gospel. 
Simon the Zealot, as the story goes, he ministered in Persia and was killed after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. <clears throat> Matthias was the apostle chosen to replace Judas. Tradition sends him to Syria with Andrew and death by burning. They went out and loved like Jesus loved. The only one of the John was the only one of the gospel uh, apostles generally thought to have died a natural death from old age. He was the church leader in Ephesus area and is said to have taken care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in his home. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. There he was credited with writing the last book of the New Testament, the Revelation. An early Latin tradition has him escaping unhurt after being cast into boiling oil in Rome. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. So you want to know what love is? Look to, his Jesus, look to Jesus and his followers. And make note, the killing of Christians did not stop with the death of the disciples. It hasn't stopped. We may be shielded from it here in America for a while, but around the world, Believers are dying for their faith every day, for their faith. Willing to lay down their life so others can have life. And with that said, I want to make this point. It is a false gospel that tells everyone, if you just come to Jesus, he's going to make everything all right. Your bank account's going to be full. Your home's going to be huge, whatever. He'll give you everything you need. It will be a wonderful and blessed life because your life's a wreck right now. And if you just come to Jesus, he'll fix all that stuff. That is a false gospel. That is a false gospel. Jesus will make everything right with you and God. He will do that. And it is a wonderful and blessed life but not by the world's standards, right? So we can see a true calling to be a disciple in these 11 men. We can see it by the way they lived. You must die to self. You must love the Lord God with all your heart. You must be willing to pick up your cross and follow Jesus daily. You must live like Christ and love like Christ. And it ain't all rainbows and lollipops like Pastor Ryan says. It's not. Jesus said, what did he say? He said, weigh the cost. Weigh the cost. He said, there's a cost here. It didn't just fill your money bags to come to Jesus. There's a cost. Be aware. Those are false gospels. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Well, let's talk about the word friends here. Jesus says, greater love, no one in this that someone lay down their life for who? His friends. And then he says in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. What kind of friend is that? <laughs> Just thinking. He calls them friends. The truth is, if you are a believer, you are a true disciple. And if you're a true disciple, then you're called a friend of Jesus. I just sat there and thought about that. I got a lot of friends. But to be called a friend of Jesus, 
that's different. And then I got to thinking about all the names that believers have in the scriptures. And so I chased that rabbit. Sorry, y'all. But, but I didn't realize how many names were in there. And I found this interesting. And, you know, hey, I listed them out. And I found this encouraging. It was really encouraging. So I'm going to read a few that I found. We are beloved of God, beloved brethren, the called, children of God, children of promise, children of light, sons of the resurrection, Christians, disciples, the elect. The godly, heirs of God, heirs of promise, heirs of salvation, the righteous, lights in the world, living stones, members of the body of Christ, people of God, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, the salt of the earth, slaves of righteousness, vessels of honor, vessels of mercy, saints, and friends. There's probably more. I just found that amazing. I said, that's quite a list for a child of God. Amen. Quite a list. And in our text, the disciples are called a friend. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I had made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You know, this brief passage right here reveals four characteristics of Jesus's friends. There are the ones who love one another. They obey him. They know divine truth and have been specially chosen by the Lord himself. So Jesus says here, you're my friend if, he put an if in there, if you do what I command you. And someone will be thinking just like I did, what kind of friend is that? I can be a friend if I do all that you command me. Doesn't sound like much of a friend there, but that's not what's going on here. Remember the word I just used, characteristics. When Jesus says, you are my friend, if you do what I command you, this is a call for obedience. Yes, it is in a sense. But listen, this obedience is not what makes them friends. It is what characterizes them characterizes his friends you see jesus friends are the object of his love and the ones who are the object of his love are obedient to him obedience is not a requirement to be his friend it is a result you see that it is a result just like obedience is not the means of our salvation but it is a result Doing what Jesus has commanded us to do is proof that we have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, back to the vine and branches that we've been studying. The the branches that abide in Christ, the true vine, will inevitably bear fruit. What does Jesus say back in verse 8? By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. John 8.31 says, true disciples obey his word. That is what a friend of Jesus will do. 
So this obedience is not what makes us friends. It is what characterizes the friends of Jesus. Now, Jesus got their attention when he brought up the word friend. He really did. When he brings up the subject that someone can be a friend of Jesus or a friend of God, they may have started shaking in their shoes. They were two people in the Old Testament who were called friends of God. Not Charlton not Charles Heston, not him. No. Abraham and Moses. One got that, didn't he? <laughs> That's funny. Abraham and Moses. Now, there was something very special about those two being called friends. And the disciples knew this. Those two were friends of God, and they enjoyed extraordinary access to the mind of God. Think about that. Think about the relationship the two of them had with God. Think about the communication they had with God. It was like no others, and they were called friends. These two enjoyed extraordinary access to the mind of God, so much so that the later Jews speculated on what unrecorded revelation they may have received from God. Did they tell every word that had been spoken to them? I don't know. But what we do know is this. They had an intimate relationship with God, and because of that relationship, they were called friends of God. So when Jesus says to his disciples, you are my friend, I'm sure he got their attention. I'm sure he did. Maybe they questioned Jesus in their mind. I know what a friend of God meant in the scriptures. Are you sure I'm your friend? Maybe they thought that because that's a big deal. It's a big deal to be a friend of God. So Jesus explained further in verse 15. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. A servant or a slave are simply told what to do. They are different than a friend. A friend is in a whole different level in the relationship. Friends are informed of what Jesus is thinking. A friend learns to obey with a sense of privilege and with a full understanding of their master's heart. Jesus says, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. That's a big deal. But what a privilege, huh? What a privilege. Jesus, equipping his disciples, takes the time to inform his friends of his motives, plans, and purposes. You are my friend, he says, and I have made known to you what God the Father has planned. There is something special about being a friend. So we shouldn't be taking this title lightly. It's a privilege. It's an undeserved honor to be a friend. The disciples nor us has, have done anything to be called a friend of Jesus. So, as we, if, so as, if anyone is called a friend of Jesus, we should live in awe every day. He's calling me a friend. But we can't be prideful. We can't be prideful. We need to be humble. Verse 16 says, hey, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. 
so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, it may be given to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. God kept his disciples humble, didn't he? He keeps us humble, doesn't he? God always calls us out. If there's any danger that we will puff ourselves up, he'll call us out because of the privilege that we enjoy. You know, Jesus shared with his disciples what the Father had told him. He shares with us God's plan, and he will carry it out through his word. We have it all right here. He gave it to us. We did not become his friend or get access to his info because we are wise or better. No, or that we have made right choices. I don't think so. We are who we are in Christ, just like the disciples, because Christ chose all of us. That's why we humble ourselves and live in awe daily. We live each day knowing that we have a peace that comes from God, not of our own doing. We have a joy that comes from God, not of our own desires. We have love that is out of this world. And because of the love that God has poured out on all of us, we are able to live in victory. We are equipped just like the disciples to do whatever he has commanded us to do. And that's why we leave here today in confidence, with confidence that we can live a life worthy of the calling. We are confident when we share the true gospel. He has loved us, not because we deserve it, but because he chose to. He has laid down his life for his enemies so that we can become a friend of God. And that's why we worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because we are now friends. Amen. Amen. So.